dear listeners, and welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today has been described as an event. And when I read this, it made me smile because the first time I heard Daniel Trifonov play live, it was just that. He was an incredible event where at the end of his concert, I felt my heart was going to explode. I was so moved by the way he interpreted the music. His new album is a very personal one called Bach, The Art of Life. And dear Daniel, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Congratulations on the new album. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I have to thank you for something else as well. And that is for making me realize that I am in love with Johann Christian Bach. Ah, <laughs> well, that's a, it's wonderful composer who I think doesn't get enough attention. And actually in his time, he was an extremely important composer and performer. In fact, most of the pianists are indebted to him for having the pianos that we play on, I mean, of course, they're very different over the course of a time. They changed a lot, but the Johann Christian Bach was one of the first pioneers of the pianoforte. And its first ever recorded concert that is known to us was done by Johann Christian Bach in London in uh, 1768. Actually, the, the pianos which, uh, which he played, uh, he preferred pianos by Zumpe, and I actually had a great experience of playing on one of the Zumpe pianos, which actually is considered to belong to uh, Johann Christian Bach. It is currently at a Kobe collection outside of London. It's actually kind of close to actual piano in the sense that it functions as actual piano. It is, of course, much less loud than a piano, but it's comfortable to play. Did it influence your recording of these pieces, having played the original pianos? Or did you adapt, you know, is, is it virtually impossible to adapt that on a modern grand piano? I think it is possible. I mean, there are many things which influenced the recording, not only that, but uh, I would say that on the modern pianos, it is actually not that difficult to imitate even the softest of dynamics. It's actually pretty close. Yes, you have to be a bit more careful with pedal because on modern pianos, pedal is a bit more overwhelming than it used to be back then. But still, it's an interesting effect. And I think it's not that far, actually. I knew I was going to learn a lot today talking to you about Bach because you are the sort of person, you don't just learn the music, you learn everything around the composer that you can. And I know when you were studying with Professor Babian, I heard the rumor you had to listen to a Bach cantata every morning. Is this true? Well, that I did by myself. It was. It had nothing to do with this recording, actually. That's something I did back when I just moved to Cleveland to study with Sergei Babayan, and that's what I did in my first year of studies. I just like music of Bach. Uh, so yeah, I would, uh, in uh, every morning I would listen to one, one cantata. How else do you prepare, if I may say so? Up until now, you've been this big Russian romantic repertoire person. And I know when we've played together at the Berlin Philharmonic, it's been great, big, wonderful piano concertos. And every musician I know says that going to Bach is like going back to the roots of music making. Very much so. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, because it's a foundation for so many musicians and, of course, uh, also the art of fugue itself. Uh, learning this art of fugue was uh, probably the most complex 
uh, undertaking I did in terms of learning something. I had to practice like for eight hours a day for in a course of two weeks when I started learning it. And then again, the same thing when I was about to start performing it for the first time. So in terms of our mileage, I spent with Bach music uh, learning and working on it more than any other piece. But the interesting thing with Bach is that your ears don't get tired. Yeah, it's eight hours seems a lot. And it is a lot, especially if, with some other repertoire. But somehow with Art of Uke, it was not the case. Even eight hours, it was not completely demolishing the concentration. What can happen? So the art of the fugue is such a well-known piece and we've all heard so many recordings of so many different people and it's a very personal thing as well. Do you try and make a, a big event of it or do you give each fugue its different voice? Do you imagine people? How do you approach it? Well, uh, there are different ways to approach it. The piece itself had no instruments specified. There is actually a debate what was its cause, why it was left like that, because there are actually two editions of it. There is an earlier edition, which is in Berlin Library, and it is completely different. It has uh, another amount of bar numbers. It has two less fugues. It has two less canons. Some of the fugues actually have different endings or different beginnings. They're in different meter. So it is quite significantly different earlier edition. So the second edition, which he still didn't finish, but, but he was closer to completion, he still didn't try for which instruments it was. And I tend to believe that it's actually something along what one of his sons, Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, said in his wonderful book called Essay on the True Art of Playing Keyboard, which is a brilliantly written, basically, opinions of Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach. It's basically like a study book almost. He says that for composers of the time, it was important to make sure that their music sounds good on as many instruments as possible. Because you never know what you are going to get. Sometimes there can be a harpsichord at the house. Sometimes it would be a clavichord. Sometimes it would be one of those early pianoforte. And uh, the music needs to sound good on, on everything. I think it worked in a combination. That the fact that the Baroque music actually does work really well from instrument to instrument. Also because Bach himself would sometimes reuse his material from, from one piece to another, and sometimes in completely different orchestration, like from Brandenburg Concerto to uh, Cantata. I think it's a similar case for this Art of Fugue, because only later we have already more strict instrument specialization, like with Beethoven, for example. Like, I can't imagine one of his piano sonatas being transcribed as a symphony, or maybe only only parts of it. But back then it was important to 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 be able to play the music on as many instruments as possible. And perhaps that was the ultimate goal with this piece, is to create music that actually sounds great on anything, which it, it does. It does. Do you give, like Elgar did in the Enigma Variations, do you give each fugue a different personality? Or how do you imagine Well, this? that is actually already when I... Uh, I mean, I always... <laughs> I uh, wanted to study uh, Bach with my teacher, Sergei, but somehow it was so a lot of a romantic uh, focus. But finally, I was able to study more of Bach with him. And the one who thinks, actually, he said, when I brought that piece for the first time, he actually suggested that it's important to find variety in the cycle because there are a lot of fugues, a lot of them in the same key on, on the same subject. And there are less later, there will be more variety with addition of newer teams. But the thing is that listening it in a concert 
uh, one should strive to make it uh, sound as a cycle and one fugue be almost a reaction on on a on a precision one and there is actually enough variety to actually be completely cycle because if if we look at for example notebook of Anna Magdalena Bach that is clear that it is more of a just a collection of pieces that is not intended really to play to be played as a cycle there is you, there is not really tonal connection sometimes between pieces so in that cycle i basically pick my favorites and try to arrange them in a certain set in case of art of Fugue, it's actually it makes sense and even the way he rearranged it because first edition and second edition there is also different order of some of them. In the second edition, the extra fugues, extra endings, extra beginnings that he added, I feel like they actually even emotionalize a little bit the cycle. They have a lot of emotional power. And of course, the last fugue, which was left unfinished. And of course, as everybody knows, Bach didn't finish the art of the fugue, the very last number. He didn't finish it, but you did. Well, it actually kind of finishes by itself. There is not so much composer actually can do because there is really only one way that all these four teams can work together. I just basically try to use only material that is already in there. I didn't add anything that is not there. So even in a non-thematic material, it would be something from other fugues sometimes. So I made sure that all four voices go at least once in all four voices. First two times it's a normal version. Later times it's uh, inverted. And it's actually, it's, to me, it was actually amazing to discover that they do work inverted. Bach is sometimes so scientific. Everyone can invert and redo and, and all this. It's like almost a scientific experiment amongst all this well, music yes, in there. And, uh, actually, he was very interested in mathematics. But also, sometimes, so, some of it seemed to have been added on the fly. Because the earlier version of the Art of Fugue, if you calculate all the bars and, and then calculate Fibonacci, it does not have any of that. So he added it later, and that is even more impressive, maybe, that he actually changed the order of the pieces, changed the length of the pieces, just to make a mathematical curiosity uh, in, in this sense. But it's, of course, much more than that. So your new album, Bach, The Art of Life, we have the Kunst der Fuge, The Art of the Fugue on, on, as a second part. But the first part, after my beloved Johann Christian Bach sonata, which I just really, really loved, I, I found it almost like Mozart. And it was very ahead of they its knew, time. They knew each other. They actually, uh, Johann Christian Bach influenced Mozart in many ways. They spent uh, several weeks together in France. Uh, actually where that piano, the Zumpe piano, which is in Kobe collection, is. It is likely that Johann Christian actually introduced Mozart to these English pianos. Mozart was just starting out back then, and Johann Christian was already a very established performer and composer. Who needs Google when you have Daniel Trifonov? <laughs> This is fantastic information. Thank you. Uh, for a, a mere horn player, I'm, I'm learning incredible amounts today about Bach. But what I love particularly about this album is the first part is such a family event. You know, it's Johann Sebastian Bach as a family father. And it, it gives us a little insider look at the musical life of the day. He wasn't just composing pieces. All his sons were composing pieces and they were all playing his music. And the fact that you've included the notebook of Anna 
Magdalena Bach. I just found this really beautiful thinking about the fact that 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 was how the the family worked in those days. The father wrote some music and the sons had to practice it. And that's how they learned about music. I just find this really wonderful. And I I thought you as now a family man, could you imagine your family playing and learning your music from you? Well, yeah, I mean, there is not only father's music in this notebook, there is also music of other composers. So in the way, it's like a family favorites playlist <laughs> if one if one speaks modern and one particular piece actually the this dubey mir which was for many years attributed to bach is actually uh, by uh, stolzel from one of his operas uh, and first name of stolzel is gottfried heinrich what about the uh, the anonymous pieces? There's a rumor it could have been Anna Magdalena. What uh, do you yes, think? well, that again we we don't know. And back in those time, it was unheard of, unfortunately, for women composers to be published. But really, I don't believe we have enough information to know for sure. But there is one piece which actually doesn't have not only a composer listed, but also it does not have a name. Later, it was called Polonaise. Although I'm not sure, even sure if it's uh, the best name for it is more like aria and it's in d minor it's quite slow it's i mean in general polonaises back then they were very different from romantic polonaise like there was no even rhythm it's it's not even there uh, and some of them can be very lyrical but this one yeah it's also called polonaise but it was not called like that in the it's just blank is uh, in the in the original manuscript it doesn't have anything written and who knows, maybe that one. But again, we, we don't know. Did this last one and a half years being home, which was very unusual for all of us to not be touring the world, did this give you the inspiration for this project? You've called the album The Art of Life, not The Art of Music or The Art of the Fugue. You've called it The Art of Life. Did you discover The Art of Life better? I, I mean, for me, I think uh, it was great to be home more. And uh, I mean, now over time of hour, it was, uh, it was great for me to to spend more time with the family. So even if a pandemic didn't happen, I would still prefer to stay more time at home. Of course, it was a difficult time for many because of uh, insecurity about the future. And for many months, nobody really knew what was going to happen. I mean, now at least there is certain resemblance of things functioning in the way they, uh, they can be functioning. Still not completely, but uh, it's already a step forward. But yes, it was a, it was a special time for me. Did that influence your music? Did that influence uh, this album? Well, perhaps in in the sense that I was I, I was very curious to discover more of the music of relatives of Bach and especially his children. Uh, that was that that came already during the pandemic to me when I was just reading through works of different of his sons and basically I chose my most most favorites from what I had discovered and I I wanted to put it uh, on the on the album. You've made the most amazing album cover with you under a tree. Now Daniel, I know how hard you work and I couldn't imagine you sitting for a long time under a tree. But times have changed, huh? You're a nature man now. Does nature give you the strength, give you the inspiration for your projects? I mean, I always loved nature and even on on a busy tour I actually sometimes try to dedicate some time for hiking. Uh, at some point I actually made, uh, I think it was 30 miles, 50 kilometers, very long hike one day. But I mean, in general, I, I like hiking. And uh, 
and nature in the sense that I mean the tree also in can be kind of an allegory for the structure of the art of Yuk itself because it all goes from the trunk of the, the main theme and then it branches out into different variations of that theme and the same can be maybe said about Bach and his children uh, that it's also kind of a family tree. I, I love it. Thank you so much for this beautiful album. And, and thank you for introducing me more to the, to the other Bachs. I mean, we know they all existed and you hear music of them. It's such an important document, this, this album. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on, on the international podcast series to talk about it. And I hope, I hope I can hear you play all these beautiful pieces live sometime soon. Thank you. So big hug to you and thanks for joining us. And to all our listeners, you're going to love this album, Bach Galore, and uh, not only Johann Sebastian, but all the others as well. Enjoy it. And Daniel, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Come back soon. Thank you. Great pleasure. Oh, and by the way, if you enjoyed this podcast with Daniel and want to stay up to date with future episodes and also listen to some of the fabulous past episodes, then do subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcast from. I'm Sarah Willis. See you next month on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. Bye-bye.